I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is For The Mission. On a recent sunny Friday afternoon in Oakland's Dufresnery Park, Chronicle reporter Sarah Ravani is meeting with Katie O'Brien. Katie's an outreach coordinator for a Sacramento nonprofit harm reduction group called SANE. The group helps people who use drugs access things like clean needles and medication to overcome their addictions. It's the kind of work that Katie's really dedicated to because she understands that struggle herself. I decided just to start shooting heroin, which was like a child's decision. And and one that I, I would say I have regretted um, as an adult very much because it sort of caused lifelong issues for me. When I made that initial decision to start using, it was like, at that point, I didn't care about my life in the future. I didn't think I was going to live very much longer, and I just didn't care. Today, Katie is in recovery, and she helps other people who struggle with drug abuse. She's one of the people featured in a story that published today as part of a new project launched by the Chronicle and Hearst newspapers, a county-by-county tracker of fatal drug overdoses across the country. This first-of-its-kind database uses information from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to reveal the full scope of the crisis and how it's impacting people's own communities. The picture it paints is grim. Overdose deaths have exploded in recent years, largely driven by the powerful synthetic opioid fentanyl. Last year, over 107,000 people across the country were killed by drug overdoses. In San Francisco, the overdose death rate has almost tripled in the last five years. Numbers help us understand the scale and trends of the disaster, but behind each data point are human stories. That's why Chronicle reporters recently spent time with seven people in the Bay Area whose lives have been changed by the drug epidemic. Today on Fifth Emission, a portrait of the drug overdose crisis in the Bay Area from the people who know it most intimately. You'll hear more from people like Katie, who shares the challenges of overcoming addiction. I don't really aspire to be totally sober. That's not really my goal. My goal is like not to be dependent on anything. I just really don't want to be dependent on anything. People who have lost loved ones to drug overdoses. It would not have been easy to lose my child through getting hit by a bus. But my child put himself in front of a bus. And those whose job it is to prevent people from becoming another statistic and the toll it's taking on them. What's it actually take to to help someone? Because that's what we want to do. And if, you know, what we're allowed to do isn't helping, it starts to hurt us. Their stories of heartbreak and resilience highlight what they want you to understand about the crisis beyond the numbers and news headlines, which many of us have become desensitized to. They'll also share what they think we need now in order to save lives. 41-year-old Katie O'Brien, who you heard from earlier, was 19 years old and in San Francisco when she overdosed for the first time decades ago. My girlfriend and I were using in the parking lot at Ocean Beach. She had done my shot, and then she was doing hers, and she was talking to me, and then she was like, you know what I mean? And I didn't answer her, and she said she looked over, and I was just totally blue. She survived, thanks to the life-saving actions of her girlfriend and kind strangers. But it was naloxone, the overdose-reversing nasal spray, that saved Katie's life in the five overdoses she's had since. Some people know it by its brand name, Narcan. In more recent years, there's always been naloxone around and stuff. So, like, luckily, somebody's always been around with that. Somebody else has always been there to revive me. 
and why I know that using a loan is really, really dangerous. Others haven't been as lucky as Katie. 71 people died from accidental drug overdoses in San Francisco last month. Nearly 90% of them involved fentanyl. Katie says accidental overdoses often happen when people are trying to get clean. Even as a seasoned drug user, it's just really hard to know your dose. It's almost always when people are trying to get off drugs that they overdose, right? I mean, like, it's usually because your tolerance has gone down from trying to get off. Trying to get off of drugs is difficult. Addiction experts say understanding why people are using in the first place is a critical first step. I see substance use as a secondary issue, and the primary issue is trauma. That's Jasmine Canfield, a licensed clinical social worker who helps people with substance use disorders in Alameda County. She focuses on the triggers that cause people to use drugs and how drugs affect their brains. What I think it's important for us to know is that somebody who is taking substances and people that are overdosing are not intending to actually overdose. Their intention is to relieve themselves of whatever emotional or physical pain that they're suffering from. For many, that temporary relief comes in the form of fentanyl, which Jasmine says has become way too easy to get your hands on. So here we have seen an increase of fentanyl use. Fentanyl is just easily accessible and it's cheap. And for people who are really suffering with emotional and physical pain, this is something that they can access to easily and cheaply. As a social worker, Jasmine meets with clients to discuss their drug treatment plans. During one meeting, she had to reverse an overdose as her client nodded off in front of her. Jasmine saved the woman's life, but her client wasn't happy about it. Understanding that this person was pissed at me because this was their only escape from their trauma, and now they're pissed because I robbed them of that, right? So I had to understand that she wasn't mad at me. She was mad that she's back to feeling the way that she was. It takes that type of understanding to be a frontline worker of the drug epidemic. Saving lives doesn't always yield warm and fuzzy results. Paramedics and other emergency responders in the Bay Area may know that best. My name is Sam Gebler, and I'm the vice president of the San Francisco Firefighters Local 798 Union. Sam's a paramedic in San Francisco, and he's seen people come out of overdoses more times than he can count. Fentanyl is nothing like I've ever seen in the sense of how addictive it really is and how difficult it is to get people off of it. It just has such a strong grip on people that as soon as you reverse that overdose, they refuse all help and they go try and get their next high. Like they cannot get off it. He has worked as a paramedic in other Bay Area counties, but in San Francisco, Sam says fentanyl has been a game changer. Now you have a, a patient with, you know, their heart's going a million miles an hour and they're not breathing. And so that's like a very unique thing that we just started seeing really for the last couple of years. And at first, it was like, what the heck is going on with this person? And now we're just like automatically in. Well, we know exactly what it is. Every day, Sam brings people back from fentanyl overdoses. Sometimes it might be the same person multiple times in one shift. To the average person, you know, like, oh, my God, you saved someone's life. And, you know, we feel like, well, yeah, but we're going to see him again in three hours and it's going to be the same thing. Sam says that kind of brutal cycle is leading to burnout and stress. 
now we, we've just gotten so busy and so overrun with it that you're pretty much on your own out there. And you have to kind of fend for yourself and like worry about, am I going to be able to go home? Am I going to get stuck with a needle? Am I going to get punched in the face today? He aims some of those frustrations at the city of San Francisco and how it's managing the crisis. The system is working exactly as it's been designed. It's not designed to fix people right now in San Francisco. It's designed to perpetuate this cycle. And in order to fix that, you know, you kind of need to tear some of it down and build it back up in a way that is more focused on solving this new problem. It's the equivalent of using, you know, 20-year-old technology to solve today's problem. And it just, it doesn't match, it doesn't work. Outdated strategies to fight the drug overdose crisis aren't just visible on the streets of the Tenderloin. They're also in Bay Area suburban homes and schools where parents are confronting a crisis that's infiltrated social media. The pandemic continues. A different crisis is growing. The use of opioids. At 11, police are going after drug distributors who sell deadly fentanyl to teens. The San Jose girl ingested an M30 pill laced with No parent should ever have to mourn the loss of a child, but that's exactly what one Fullerton mom has been grappling with. Overdose deaths of U.S. adolescents more than doubled from 2019 to 2021. It's a disturbing trend that's happening in the Bay Area, too. I'm Dr. Lee Trope. I'm a pediatric hospitalist at Santa Clara Valley Medical Center in San Jose. Lee heads up a program that helps start teens with opiate use disorder on medication-assisted treatment. It's a strategy she saw was desperately needed during the pandemic. It was in 2020 that we started hearing about teen after teen in San Jose and Santa Clara County that were dying from fentanyl overdose. We kind of looked around and we said, you know, as pediatricians, we can't really be ignoring this opioid crisis anymore. Pediatricians like Lee have been treating a different group impacted by the country's drug overdose crisis, teenagers, even kids as young as middle schoolers. Most of our, our teens or young adults are you know, 16 plus, but we've had patients as young as 12. We're starting to see 13, 14 year olds come in more than we did when we first started. And pretty much every patient that we've had has been addicted to fentanyl. Some of Lee's patients have been addicted for years. Some of them take fentanyl every couple of hours. And often, Lee says, they don't even know they're taking fentanyl, at least at first. They'll often buy what they call Percocets, or they call it perks to us, on Snapchat or Instagram is like the most common story that we hear. And then oftentimes we're telling them that they're using fentanyl, and sometimes they're absolutely floored, shocked to find out that that's what's happening. Unfortunately, for many families, they find out too late. After a quick break, two Bay Area parents who lost their children to accidental fentanyl overdoses. They'll share how their kids got their hands on the drugs and the questions they've had to grapple with as they manage their grief. The stories you're hearing in today's episode is a part of the Overdose Tracker Project launched by the Chronicle and Hearst newspapers. You can find it online at sfchronicle.com slash odtracker. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. In August 2021, Belmont teenager Colin Walker thought he was taking cocaine. He had bought it on Snapchat, but it was laced with fentanyl. 
Colin overdosed and died at the age of 17. My husband found him on the morning of August 29th in his bedroom, having fallen from his chair where he was playing video games and he was two weeks away from turning 18. That's Colin's mother, San Carlos resident Liz Walker. She was shocked to discover how easy it was for her child to obtain such a deadly drug. And it's not just Snapchat, Instagram, any social media. You could order drugs and have them delivered to your doorstep as easy or easier than ordering a pizza to be dropped off. And that's exactly what happened. Liz says the pandemic was disastrous for Colin. He suffered from depression and anxiety and barely left his bedroom. He started seeing a psychiatrist to address his mental health. Colin died just 11 days after he returned to the classroom when schools reopened from lockdown. His mother wonders if the pandemic is what led Colin towards substance abuse. When he figured out that substance took away that incredible anxiety and depression, I think he was hooked from that point. We will never know if lockdown hadn't happened. Would we have seen it? Would his teachers have seen it when he was falling asleep in class, when his grades did start slipping because he couldn't keep up? A 54-year-old father in Concord grapples with those kinds of what-ifs, too. My name is Walter Lanhammer. I have three kids. One is an angel. That angel is Walter's 14-year-old daughter, Valentina. Like Colin Walker, she also died in August 2021. Valentina was Walter's eldest child. He says she loved music and outdoor activities like camping and dirt biking. Her little brother was her best friend. Valentina had just started high school at Concord High. She had gotten her hands on a pill from a friend who had purchased it at their school. Valentina announced on social media that she was going to take the pill, a pill she and her friends called Blue Dream. She took pictures with the pill she got. And she was telling the friends, oh, look what I got. I'm going to take this tonight. And she thought it was going to be a nice night or maybe relaxing. Or Walter found her the next morning in her bedroom. I still dreaming that day in those moments when I opened the door, when I saw her, when I tried to help her. And I could never forget me and my son, my son talking to the 911 and telling us what to do with the CPR. Walter was completely blindsided by his daughter's death. He had no inkling that his daughter had even been curious about drugs and believes this was her first time trying them. The damage is terrible. It's every day. Wake up and see her picture, go to her bedroom. Um thinking what she should be doing now. She will be 16, might be driving, taking the kids to school. Now he's trying to help other parents understand the dangers of teens having access to fentanyl. He speaks at public events and meets with other families. Colin Walker's mother, Liz, does the same kind of outreach. You can tell parents these stories and they will be scared to death as we would have been if we had had all this information. But ultimately, unless Colin had realized how risky things were, young people have to understand that they're being ripped off when they're buying these drugs. They're not buying Xanax. There's no real pill 
or real powder being sold on social media. And the risk is way too, way too big to even try it. Pediatrician Dr. Lee Trope says that a critical component of growing that awareness in young adults is creating a judgment-free zone for them to ask questions. This is such a stigmatized disease and it's such a stigmatized patient population. And we make a big deal to train all of our providers to really make this a safe comfortable environment because we expect relapse. And we've been fortunate enough that many, many teens will come right back when they relapse because they know that they feel safe and comfortable and won't be judged in our environment. And I think that's actually more rare than it should be. But rare safe spaces do exist. One specifically for adult women is the Carmelita Women's House in Marin County. We have our morning group room. Morning group happens here every morning where we sit down typically for 30 to 40 minutes. We meditate, we stretch together, and then we go over morning announcements. Chronicle reporter Kevin Fagan visited the facility last month. He's taking a tour with the organization's director, Kendra Hyken. The facility specializes in helping women recover from different traumas, including homelessness and substance use disorder. Do you help them steer them into a recovery program? So they can bounce back? Yes. That is a goal. That's also what's different about this program is usually people are like, you're kicked out and you're done. Here, we're going to try and we're going to try and we're going to try again until the, you know, the limit is reached. Carmelita Women's House takes a holistic approach to fighting addiction by providing services like therapy, meditation and breathwork workshops. Participants do group activities like yoga and cooking. They also do daily devotionals, which are led by one of the organization's peer counselors, 38-year-old Lisa Marie Riley. So what we'll do is we'll come in and we'll sit and we will open up this book. This is the first book we use. And we'll go to the actual day and we will read what the color of the day. So it it kind of focuses your mind. Today, the color is yellow. The scent of the day is light. She says the daily devotional practice is an exercise to ground the residents at Carmelita Women's House. It helps them focus on their healing instead of their shame around their struggles with addiction. Lisa Marie used to be homeless in the Tenderloin and used heroin and other drugs for years. I'm able to use that experience to help other people in life. Did I have to go through them? Probably not. But I'm glad that I did, because now I can use that in my new life that I've been on a quest for and change other women's lives. Lisa Marie says people in recovery need that kind of gentle approach. As I went through those programs, I was able to resolve some of my fears. It's like when you drop a vase. Sobering up is just the fact that you realize you dropped the vase. Picking up the pieces is the recovery of it. Addiction experts often say that meeting people where they are is critical for recovery. That's why Dr. Lee Trope says treatment has to be readily accessible. One of the principles that I think about a lot with this crisis is that there really needs to be sort of a menu of treatment options that not every patient needs the same thing. Some people need to start medication in the hospital. Some people would do better in their home environment. You know, one of the key principles is that when someone's ready, we need to be available and there for them. 
How to get people on the road to recovery and solve the larger drug crisis remains a fierce debate in the Bay Area. In San Francisco, a recent step up in arrests of alleged drug users has drawn controversy. But Katie O'Brien, the woman in recovery you heard from earlier, says overcoming addiction is a long journey and that it requires a kind of empathy that seems scarce these days. It's a process, and, and I think that like we need to acknowledge that and make space for that. It's been hard for me to create like a safe space for myself that's just like healing and and not being sort of like affected by by trauma, right? Um, I sometimes feel like there's just trauma like in every direction I turn. But some emergency responders like Sam Gebler argue that a gentle approach isn't cutting it anymore. You need a way to get someone clean. And if they don't voluntarily do that, then you're not helping them by letting them continue down this road. You're actually torturing them. It's a form of cruel and unusual punishment because they can't help themselves at this point. The drug dealer who sold the pill that killed 14-year-old Valentina Langhammer was sentenced to eight years in prison. Her father, Walter, wishes he was put away for much longer. You're selling heavy drugs that kills people. They should be criminals. They should be sentenced to 30, 40 years. They should be nervous about going around the schools and selling drugs. And that might help, right? But Colin Walker's mother, Liz, isn't so sure. Would it help me to have Colin's drug dealer in jail? Not really. Should they have been selling drugs? No. Should my son have been taking drugs? No. Did either of them know what was in that drug? Most likely not. In the meantime, cities like San Francisco face what public health officials are calling a tidal wave of fentanyl. The city's taking measures like trying to expand access to naloxone and medications that treat opioid addictions, as well as increase the number of mobile clinics and care teams on the streets. But experts agree there simply is no silver bullet to stop the crisis. The acknowledgement of that truth is painful. But for grieving parents like Liz Walker... It also brings some measure of reassurance. It does make me able to to stop blaming myself that once fentanyl was involved, I don't I don't know what we could have done. But the grief will always be there. And Liz says, you become resigned to that truth also. So it's kind of like learning to walk without a leg, right? Right. The leg's not coming back, but it probably gets a little easier the longer you just get used to, to not having it there. This episode was written by me and produced with help from Sarah Feldberg, Keith Manconi, and Gary Baca. The interviews you heard were conducted by Chronicle reporters Kevin Fagan, Mallory Mensch, and Sarah Rabani, and were recorded by Keith Manconi and Gary Baca. Thank you to the people who shared their personal perspectives with us in this episode. Their stories are a part of the Overdose Tracker Project from the Chronicle and Hearst newspapers. Check out that online database to better understand the overdose crisis in local communities across the country. It's online now at sfchronicle.com slash OD tracker. Thanks for listening. <laughs> 